0: This is Mugglecast, your Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts podcast covering everything about JK Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to Mugglecast episode two hundred and ninety-five. This is our cursed child, spoiler filled episode.
1: Yep. We took the owl and tell us all his secrets.
2: Remember, no.
0: cursed child, spoiler ridden.
2: It's the alert, riddle, spoiler alert. There will be spoiler all over this. I know that's annoying, but think about how annoyed you would be you weren't <laughs> right. expecting spoilers right. for the Harry Potter and the Curse. What's worse,
1: I just feel bad for your neighbors.
2: Uh, you know what? You heard about the oven alarm. You know about that. I'm not. I do know I wouldn't about Be that. upset with them. <laughs> So,
0: listen again, please. Cursed child spoilers. We are going to be talking major spoilers. Major, major, like all of the spoilers. So, just stop now,
1: okay? If you we do... ain't keeping the secrets.
0: We ain't keeping the secrets here. This is going to seal our fate in terms of J.K. Rowling ever being on this show or not. <laughs> After this spoiler warning, we will never have J.K. Rowling on this show. <laughs> Oh,
2: gosh. Well, know. And oh and oh and the the entire episode will be this way, by the way. Yes. The entire episode's a spoiler, For- so there's not any safe timestamp that you can move to. Uh if you want if you somehow missed because these episodes were released in quick succession. If you want non spoiler talk about Chris Child, we did just do an episode, it's the previous one, two ninety four. Exactly. So with that said, let's get into it. God.
0: <laughs> we lost oh, the i i'm i'm afraid i'm afraid I, I i almost i think like jk rowling's gonna swoop in and attack us no so eric did you want to start or why how are we starting this uh, uh, yeah how are how are we starting okay this? um H- how about we start again with overall impressions but this time uh, okay with okay
2: that makes sense that makes so
0: sense. in the spoiler free episode i said that the play everything is fantastic except for the story by that I mean the story gets so bizarre that I just cannot see past the problems. The leading problem being the fact that Voldemort and Bellatrix had a child.
2: <laughs> it is just Well, presumably during
0: the events of Harry Potter, yes, right? Yes, yeah, it seems to line up that way. Uh the the daughter's name is Delphi in the story she um she's initially introduced Introduced as the niece of Amos Diggory, who wants to use the time-turner recently discovered by the Ministry of Magic to bring back his son, Cedric.
1: Um turns well, out... Well, that in and of itself, can we start with yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure.
2: let's... Yeah, yeah. That's
1: a lie to digest right off the bat. Right. So, so Voldemort and Bellatrix had a child, which is the focus of many fan fiction that have been written over the course of (laughs) the length of the Potter series being in existence, right? Yeah, sure. Fair to say. I mean, if we had Elisa and Laura on the show, they would all but confirm that they probably have nightmares of some of the fan fiction that they've read. Uh, Right. I mean...
2: Yes, yes. There, okay. There's a reason that's popular, though. There is a reason that that is popular for fanfic, oh, because we I mean, know... I think it's in the canon is, of the books that Bellatrix was very much a devoted follower of, of oh, no, the okay. man himself.
1: Absolutely, and, and I'm not dismissing yeah. that in any way, but mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where maybe hindsight's 2020, 20, but looking back on what we know to be the story, and certainly we didn't spend a lot of time in the presence of Bellatrix when did this happen and and were were there any clues outside of just knowing how deeply uh passionate Bellatrix was for Voldemort that yeah that this could have taken place i mean it it seems just that piece in and of itself that the two of them got freaky in some part of Malfoy Manor let's say i don't know where but <laughs> it's just
0: it because you have to think about it it means it means Sorry to get graphic, but Voldemort has a dick. Like that doesn't add up. Voldemort it, <laughs> actually wants to have sex. That doesn't make sense. Well, okay, I can y- see. Here's... I can see Bellatrix. You know, she's a human, so okay, she's attracted to the dark lord, and like, okay, I, I get that well, part. Not,
1: not only that, right? But for all this to align, and, and I'm sure J.K. Rowling very meticulously figured this out. But we'll see. Well, where I'm going with this is, Bellatrix would have had to have the child before Molly Weasley blew her into a million pieces, uh, in in Deathly Hallows, right? Mm-hmm. So, or or killed her. I mean, the movie version is a little um, bit of mm-hmm. a stretch, right? But I, I mean, think about that. She would have had to have had the child prior to that happening, prior to Voldemort being defeated. So, at mm-hmm. what point in the story does she have this child? And And what does she do with her? Who does she give it to?
2: Well, you know, well, actually, so I, I I have I have many problems that are like even before this point. This is not even revealed, right? until sort of the end of Act two, Andrew. right. Uh, the the whole who Delphi really is. Um, you know, when i was when I was first reading the recap of part one, I thought it was very odd, uh, from a story standpoint for almost degree. To be asking Harry, so this is, this is, cause he comes to the house, right? Uh, and is like, uh, you know, w- w- you have to use the time turner to go back and save my son. And I was thinking this is an interesting point to, to jump the story off of because A, I think that Amos Diggory would have successfully completed the grieving of his son years and years and years and years and years, and years ago. In fact, maybe even before the book's end, Maybe never really complete grieving. But it's so odd that 22 full years after Cedric's death, Amos is still worked up enough about this to come to Harry and say, you have to break all wizarding law to come and do this. Now, I think it's revealed later that he's under the Imperius Curse, right? From Delphi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But initially I was like, oh, that's fishy. But knowing that so much of the plot of this play revolves around events of not Harry's seventh year in the final battle, but Harry's fourth year and the Triwizard task. Yeah. That is shocking. Yeah, especially
0: when you also consider that J.K. Rowling has admitted that Goblet of Fire was her least favorite book. So it's like, is this her way of going back and making it more interesting or something? Because it just seems like such a random choice. And the Triwizard Tournament, I thought it was fine, but I didn't love it. So I was disappointed when it it became increasingly obvious that this story was going to be focused on the Triwizard Tournament and time turners. There is so much time turning in this story. And that's another thing I'm really worried about with reading this script book. I don't know how easy or difficult this is going to be to keep track of while you're reading it. Cause in the play, you see the time turning happening. You see these, they do these cool lighting effects that kind of makes it look like they're moving through time with like these waves happening. And, and mm-hmm. that's cool, but I don't know how that is going to read. The other thing, this play basically starts off right, at, right off the bat with them in them floating this idea that Voldemort is back. And they do that by alleging that there are these rumors. They say that there are these rumors that Scorpius is actually the son of Voldemort, not Draco. This, this so this doesn't
2: make any sense.
0: Well, to me, yeah, yes, I yeah. agree. But in hindsight, I was talking this over with some people. I think they put these rumors into the play to get people ready for the big reveal. Because if you learned at the very end, all of a sudden, surprise. Delphi is the son, uh, is the daughter of Voldemort and Bellatrix. It would have been like, what the f- and it still is that. But at least when it's introduced at the beginning that this story is going to revolve around a
2: child of Voldemort, like, it, it gets you ready for it. (laughs) Okay, but this, but this still doesn't quite add up to me because wasn't the theory Right, that Scorpius Malfoy, and please fill in all the gaps, because this is just like Tumblr recaps and other people recaps that I have fueling me right now in my anger, but the understanding that I have is that there's this rumor that Draco is not Scorpius' father. I know you kind of just said that, but the idea that, so Draco and Harry interact in this play, and there's this nasty rumor that essentially Draco's wife, who we never meet, uh... Used a time turner herself and went back and seduced Voldemort. Is that how that goes? I don't know if that part involved. I
0: don't know if there there was talk of her using a time turner um, because
2: she would have been a, a Hogwarts aged girl when at the time when uh, the child would have when Scorpius would have had to be conceived. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, I, like, I will say Draco was pissed that these rumors were going around and he went to Harry and Hermione and asked them to put a stop to the rumors because he did. Because they're in positions of power. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so another thing is that at the be- like, basically, as far as I can remember, at the very beginning of the play, these rumors were being mentioned of of Scorpius being the son of uh, of Voldemort um at the very beginning of the play you just listen to this stuff and you're like well obviously this is not going to be what actually happens by the end of the story so there's going to be a twist here because they're not going to spoil the big surprise at the very beginning in a very uneventful manner it's just like out there it's just like okay welcome to the cursed child so photoborn may have a child and the other thing is harry has his um his scars hurting in the beginning of the play. So that adds levity to the. Gravity to the situation. Like oh okay. Maybe maybe these rumors aren't true. But there is something to them. So after seeing part one. I was. Uh, we still didn't know the answer. Who actually was the child of Voldemort. And that's why I couldn't offer a review. At the end of part one. Because so much rode on. How they actually handled this. And they didn't tie it up in a bow. The way I was hoping they would. Because this is just this is just something that nobody saw coming and it's like why why at, at, by the end of the story the the point is that uh, Harry is teaching Delphi that she has to deal with being an orphan just like he did and uh there are lots of flashbacks to Harry's past old Harry watches. His parents die. Uh, that was definitely the, one of the more emotional scenes in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, there was open sobbing in the theater. People were very moved by it. There were very, there were very emotional moments in this story, and 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 those were good when they were there. Um, it's just between all this time with the Time Turners and the Tri-Wizard Tournament. All leading up to this dumb twist, it's just like, ah, man, I was expecting something so much different. I will give them credit; nobody will see any of this stuff coming.
2: <laughs> it is truly a surprise. But, but, there's, but there's a reason for that, okay? And here's and, and I think this is something that this is what 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 uh, really ch- chuffs my choose my grit or whatever <laughs> I want to say something. It's funny. Grinds, here. My but grinds my gears. Grinds my gears. Uh, J.K. Rowling after the complete masterwork in my opinion that was Prisoner of Azkaban uh, with its time travel quickly realized uh, how tr- time travel could not be a solution to every problem uh, and and immediately in interviews uh, so far as I can recall afterwards said uh, that the, the time turner's uh, were destroyed, or it was after book five when they're in the room, uh, and, you know, she realized the inconvenience for for a plot, how it was basically a big giant hole in the plot to have something like a time-turner exist, because then why wouldn't you go back and change nearly everything to the perfect outcome? Uh, and so she stated that all of the time-turners uh, in the world were destroyed. Now, this is something that she obviously remembers because that was carried over to the play, but it's almost worse to say, wait a minute, okay, they were all destroyed, but there's actually still one, and it's just surfaced, we didn't know about it, and we're going to use it. Not only use it, but use it ad nauseum. You're talking dozens of times in this play. Uh, and we find out, I guess, by the end that there's that one's a prototype, and there's two time turners, and I'm thinking, okay, wait, hold the phone. So there's time turning, there's also, uh, Andrew, would you say, a great deal of... Or some of Polyjuice Potion in this play? Yeah, yeah.
0: So, yes, there is. And the Polyjuice Potion scenes I actually really liked because the way they transform into the characters they're transforming into is really impressive. They, 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 they... They,
2: they, like, stand behind them? Yeah,
0: but they're under, it's two people under one cloak... (sighs) <sighs> and i guess there's some magic happening underneath the stage where one of them comes up while the other one goes down and like the, the, the head the, it's just i don't know how to describe it you watch it and Does you're the like i'll
1: well, come in and change
2: the uh <laughs>
0: no i i don't know how to no. describe okay. it but it's it's just it was just really
2: really impressive yeah so okay but so how oh, sorry go on micah
1: well part of what i find a little bit troubling about this, at least from a storytelling standpoint, and obviously defer to Andrew who's seen it in person, is that it seems like they are focusing too much on what has taken place in the past and using the time turner in order to make characters who are long since irrelevant or have passed on relevant again. And, you know, kind of going through and and seeing some of the summaries from part one and part two, talking about Snape, talking about Umbridge, you know, these are characters who probably wouldn't have any relevance in the present day, but yet somehow, right. Uh, even Voldemort, right. Uh, and, 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 and Bellatrix, it, it just, to me, why do you need to go back and reintroduce characters who fit the seven part series that were already written? Why not develop new characters with the ones that we already knew that were going to be in this series and tell a story moving forward. Well, and that,
2: and that, that hits on so many things that I feel to my core essentially, because I think some of the expectations that I had for this play were just that it would be a story about Harry trying to be a father. Yeah. Uh, And, and Harry fathering in the, in the future, you're talking about, You know, this story that mainly focuses on what the children are doing in the past during Harry's fourth year, it doesn't at all explain or move the story forward of Harry as a parent in terms of actual character development there. What it does is give another reason for some of these characters to relive the past, but I think that, I mean, I'm going to come out and say it, I think it goes directly against the message of the Harry Potter story. Uh, of the first seven books, which is accepting death and accepting those who've loved us past us, you know. And I I, I have no doubt it's a heartwarming scene uh, towards the climax of the play when you get to see Lily and James be murdered in front of Harry and he gets to watch it and sob hysterically. And I, I think I read something and said there's not a dry eye in the audience. I believe that. But ultimately... These are things that Harry had to have long ago come to terms with. I think he had to come to terms with it when he was 11, if not sooner. And, and so bringing them up again is not only just torturous to Harry, but ultimately doesn't really accomplish anything, uh, except make him sadder. And, you know, it's not, it's not at all moving the story forward. It, bringing back Voldemort, bringing back Umbridge, bringing back, it's almost as if you can't possibly tell a story uh without these characters that's Harry Potter but I I know that's not the case. I know Joe is completely capable of telling a Harry Potter story without Voldemort in it. Period. Yep. And but she didn't. And that's really upsetting. I can hear it in your voice. Here's the Sorry. here's the
0: thing. No, it's fine. Here's the thing. Um this is and Richard at Hypo will put it this way. This is a West End production. This is a self-contained story. You go in Things change, and by the time you leave, nothing has really happened. Not much about the world of Harry Potter changes once you're done reading or seeing the story. Yes, Hermione is now the Ministress of Magic, which is totally awesome. Um, Mm. Yes, it turns out Petunia Dursley died a few years ago. That's too bad. Um, Yes, evidently Voldemort and Bellatrix had a baby. (laughs) But, um, but there aren't, right, like Micah was saying, there aren't, this does not advance the story. This is an afternoon at the theater for entertainment. Like I said, this is, the story is fun. The magic is cool. The special effects are impressive. But this is not a, this is not the eighth story. They should not be calling this the eighth story. I don't know what it is yet, but it, the eighth story implies that it's a continuation and it's just really not that you look at Barnes and Noble, every damn Barnes and Noble right now in America has a sign saying Harry Potter is back. It, it implies that there's like a new series upon us. And when you see this, when you read
2: this, you won't feel that way. I can just imagine seeing the show and being like, Oh, here's this other new, or here's this other old character. That we didn't think we'd see, like in an alternate universe, of which this show has several. Yeah. Uh, in an alternate universe where Snape is alive. Alternate universes in Harry Potter. Right. Give me a break. Right. Why, why would you even employ that story device? You're J.K. Rowling. You have a hundred thousand other possible uh, ways to go with the story, and and of course. You, uh, or and even that, if even if she only authorized this story and so let someone else write it. Why would you go there?
1: That to me is is the biggest concern and it is that it is self-contained and you don't progress the story any further than what you really knew maybe with a few plot twists after having read the epilogue in Deathly Hallows and I'm just kind of still going through and, and reading this I've, I, I read it initially but going through it again is, is it the understanding that the the kids go back in time to the first task they stop Cedric from defeating the dragon, but that isn't enough. So they go back a second time to stop him from winning the second task.
0: Right. Because after the first, after they try to change the first task, they actually screw things up. And then after the second task, they screw things up even more. And these alternate realities bring characters back to life. Uh, for example, professor Umbridge, she becomes the head, ma- head of Hogwarts right um so, there's uh, also the li- sever snape
1: comes back to life mm-hmm. so the list here is pretty pretty extensive at least from what i'm seeing and this this is after having gone back to alter the outcome of the second task so ron is married to padma mm-hmm. and they have a son mm-hmm. hermione teaches defense against the dark arts and she's and single
0: and miserable nah she's not happy Rose-
1: is never born Mm -hmm. Albus Severus is never born Mm -hmm. Harry was killed in Double army and as you mentioned Umbridge is the headmistress of Hogwarts and Lord Voldemort is in charge of the Wizarding World and And, and, and is
0: that and they have Voldemort Day at the school
2: and don't Whoa. they, like, have a secret handshake where they all pronounce for Voldemort and Valor? Yeah, something like that, yeah. I mean, it's like, well, hey, hang and, on a sec, because they all of a sudden are okay with saying his name, because then again, he's the Dark Lord. Isn't he supposed to instill fear in his subjects? And,
0: and the Voldemort Day logo is what's on the new shirts that you can buy going into Part 2. Ah, uh,
2: Okay, yeah. okay, that's cool. That's good to it's know. It's cool, um, but it's like, the, the, the F?
1: Is, yeah well putting that aside for a second this is where the first part ends right when you learn that voldemort this, is yeah in control. i
0: believe the last thing you see is umbridge coming out and mentioning voldemort day and then like around the theater you see the voldemort day logo yeah
2: oh so you don't actually see voldemort
0: at the end of part one um no no that's reserved till uh, the end of part two
2: that's pretty cool that's, um
1: yeah i mean that is uh Certainly, it's reminiscent, I guess, in a way of how Deathly Hallows Part One concludes, right when
0: yeah, Voldemort's the, the Elder yeah, One, yeah, essentially mm-hmm. this, but it's just so, 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 so much fan service. It, it, and that's why it's being compared to fan fiction because you see all these things. It's just like it, I can't the, reading this is going to be crazy. Like I just can't even. I, I, I know I keep saying this, but I can't fathom how this is going to read.
2: Oh, surprise! Umbridge
0: is back. Oh, Severus uh, Snape is back. Oh, Hermione's with pad mods. Like
2: what? Well, again, it's it's not characters at all getting over or moving forward from the past, from the you know from the past. It's it's reliving them. It's like, oh, of course, we've gone back to the fourth year. So the the girl that Ron went to the Yule Ball with is clearly the one he marries because the timeline diverged right here at this moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and and I mean, at at what point does? Cedric Diggory become an angry young man who joins the Death Eaters and eventually kills Neville Longbottom. Yeah, when is I've that seen, revealed? I've seen a lot of people annoyed about that. How can they not be? Not only does it sully the name of the very first direct Voldemort victim that we experienced in the Harry Potter books, but it sullies the name of a Hufflepuff, which I, which pisses me right off. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, just assumes that it, it, it's, I think it's a slight on Cedric's character uh, to, to begin with, full stop. Uh, but but you know, there's not much reward there. I mean, you can say Neville's dead without it having to be Cedric. But it's like, what did they do? What is the point? Is there ever a feeling in the play, Andrew, when you're watching it, that the timeline has been reversed, like, uh, completely, uh, or the timeline's been altered in a way that that they'll never be able to fix it? Is there ever any See, real? That's that's what also bothered me about this. So by the end of
0: part one, I mentioned Umbridge, Umbridge comes out. And I believe she's the one who mentions that Harry Potter has died. And it's supposed to be a cliffhanger. This does not feel like a cliffhanger to me because obviously Harry Potter was going to come back. Obviously Umbridge wasn't going to stay head of Hogwarts. All these things. Obviously Ron wasn't going to stay with Padma. It's like I could not suspend my disbelief enough because, because I, I knew that all these things were going to be fixed. So I, this, I, I left the theater feeling like, meh, like, it looks great, everything's cool, but story-wise, I can't get into this and I know it's all gonna be fixed. So, and, and then my question going into part two was, just how much is going to be fixed? If they make some of these permanent, then that makes it better because all this, there were stakes. There, there were, right. there was, there was, um, there was genuine—you had reason to anticipate part two, but I had this feeling deep down that they were—they were going to reverse almost everything because all these things were so outrageous. There were, there weren't anything there—there there wasn't anything that you thought would actually stick.
2: There's—there's there's another point I want to make here too, which is, uh, so the, the time turners. Going back to uh, almost Diggory asking Harry to use the time turner. Harry and Hermione have the time turner at the ministry, and Scorpius and Albus have to polyjuice themselves to break into the ministry to get it? Yes. Okay. So, again, you get polyjuice potion used while breaking into the ministry to steal something, which is probably, you know, hangs over your neck. This is is a complete recycling of plot from earlier books. Uh, Isn't it? Am I wrong? No, yeah, yeah.
0: But this goes back to the fan service. I guess they thought that people just want to see more of this,
2: but without But it's stakes. the same. It's not new, it's not exciting, it's 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 just the same. And this is something that I, I've been saying for years uh relating to the Harry Potter books, I know the opinion is shared, uh that, you know, it's possible polyjuice potion in general was overused uh you know one or two many times over the course of the seven books it's a great thing uh in book 2 but it just keeps coming back Uh, and same with, uh, unregistered animagis. There's, there's, there's a couple things that are just, you know, they their errors in plot, just in the fact that they're, their conveniences taken. It's like, cause we're already familiar with this one thing. So we're going to use it and use it and use it. So if you feel that it's overused to begin with in book seven, uh, either polyjuice potion, or for some reason, time turners think about how people will feel after this play comes out. And you're like, I mean, if, if it were me, and I, I could not possibly hope to ever compare myself to, like, A Brilliant Mind as J.K. Rowling. Right. But I would have stayed way the way well away from Polyjuice Potion. I would have stayed way the well away from Time Turners especially. She learned that lesson in book three. Uh You just don't go back to these things. You just don't. It's bad storytelling. It's not interesting. It's not telling anything new. Right. And you fall into this trap of telling this story that is just recycled plot. And I don't know how she could fall into this trap. I don't know how it's anyone could fall into this it's trap. It's because
0: she didn't come up with this idea. I guess in her defense, this was not her. We don't know how much of this was her idea. I'm sure. Every... Obviously, she signed off on all of this. Obviously, she signed off yeah. on on the Voldemort Bellatrix mm-hmm. thing. But, um, but. Let, let's take a moment to talk about a couple of positive things. <laughs> We've been very negative okay. so far. So That's fair. That's let's fair. now be positive. First of all, concerning time turning and, and Polyjuice potion, potion and whatnot, one of my favorite scenes, and most of my favorite scenes are in part one of this play, by the way. Um, oh, okay. My favorite scene was when, under Polyjuice Potion, Albus, Scorpius, and uh, Delphi, I believe it is, go into Hermione's office at the Ministry of Magic to get the time turner. Her Hermione's office at the Ministry of Magic is very Hermione. And there's this scene where they have to find the ter- time turner hidden in a bookcase, but there's like these riddles going on with the bookcase that they have to solve. And they get sucked into the bookcase. And again, this is a moment where you're watching and you're really, you're really blown away by how they're being sucked out and kicked back out of the bookcase. It's, it's really good. And then the other thing, and I would say this was the most J.K. Rowling moment of the story. Again, this happens in part one. It's when Harry and, sorry, Albus, I keep wanting to call the kids their their parents' names. (laughs) It's when Albus and Scorpius are on the Hogwarts Express, and I can't remember what the reason was that they wanted to get off the train, but they want to get off the train, and to do that... Um they have to hop on top of the train and then jump off. Well, it turns out that the trolley lady secretly for all these years, you know, the anything off the trolley dears lady.
2: Yeah. Turns yeah.
0: out that she secretly is the one who's in charge of making sure that all the kids actually stay on the train. So okay. she comes on top of the train with her cart. And turns in like to the, it turns into this like this evil demon witch who's, who's, who's desperate to get them back onto the train. And the scene is like very action packed and like the wind's blowing everywhere and stuff. It was really well done. And it was just the reason I loved it so much was that it just was like one of these things that you know that JK Rowling probably had this idea in her head all this time that the trolley lady is actually really hardcore serious about keeping all the kids on the train. Uh, I think at one point she mentions that uh, Fred and George tried to jump off at one point, and she had to uh, handle them the same way as they as she did Albus <laughs> and Scorpius. So I really loved that. I thought that was very J.K. Rowling. I imagine she's had that in her head for a while, and she finally decided to put it out here.
1: It's fan service. No, no. You don't think so? No, no. I don't. I, I think not I think that, that in a actually. Way. Oh.
2: Comments in a unique Well, I think that comments on a it adds something unique to this to yeah, the story. Exactly. Like Instead of that that's probably like, okay, you could see how that might be canon compliant, whereas all the rest of this crap. Because um,
0: you you never would have suspected that the trolley lady Right. <laughs> had a secret <laughs> well, job. Right. What
1: I'm saying by by fan service, and, and I mean that in a, in a good way, that okay. to your point, she clearly at some juncture when she was writing these books had it in the back of her mind that the trolley lady was in fact some creature that had the ability to you know, keep all the kids on the train through her own means. And, and that is something that I think I would have appreciated sitting in the theater watching this. Yeah. I, so I, and I, it, yeah, I do like that. Yeah, an interesting
2: tidbit, not at all center stage, but certainly very interesting
1: yeah,
0: it was center stage though. I mean, it was a it oh, was yeah. five it gets its solid scene. minutes at least. Yeah, it was it was very oh, wow. prominent.
2: Okay. Um, so, is it true? I'm just actually at this point, I've just got broken down into like a spoiler document. <laughs> is it true that when Albus takes Polyjuice Potion and transforms into Ron, he then has to make out with the real Hermione yes. multiple times? Okay,
0: this was also a really good scene because because you're watching this knowing that. That it's actually Scorpius who's pretending to be Ron, and it's completely hilarious. And Hermione's really taken aback by it, so I really loved that. Okay, yeah,
2: all right. Mm -hmm. Um, so why why do you think they chose Amos Diggory? Why do and and is it? Uh, why is why is uh was it Albus? Why is Albus so moved by this notion that he has to save Cedric Diggory? He ain't never met
0: Cedric Diggory. Good question. So. So, Albus, let's back up a little bit. Albus obviously goes to Hogwarts, sorted into Slytherin, is not happy that he's not sorted into Gryffindor. He sucks at magic at school. He's just not good at it. He, he's not. He sucks at magic and can't ride a broom, right? Yes, yes. He, um, he's not finding his place at Hogwarts. So, he ends up one day over here. He wants to do something good. So he ends up overhearing one day. I'm forgetting how Harry and Amos get together and how Albus overhears it, but, um, Albus hears Harry and Amos talking about, um, the time turner and Amos is talking about how badly he wants to bring his son back, um, to tell him how much he loves him or something along those lines. And so Albus realizes that this can be his thing. This is how he can prove himself by bringing back oh, Cedric. Okay. So that's his motivation. But so,
2: like, to go back, oh, how do they do this then? What's the actual mechanism of time turning? Because I did the math as soon as the first, as soon as the first plot summary, part one came out. I did the math. And if they go back 22 years to Harry's fourth year, uh, they would need to literally turn the time turner 199,600 times. Uh, if it's one turn for every hour, like in Dumbledore's quote. Uh, in book three Mm -hmm. so do they sit there on stage and turn the time turner 199,600 times (laughs) no of course they don't Uh, because that would be longer than two hour play what is how do they so precisely get back to where they want to go what has changed Uh, i don't know if they get into that really
0: i don't i don't know yeah um i know one rule with the with the initial time turner is that there's a time limit on it you can only be time traveling for so long I can't remember if it was two minutes or five minutes, but then there's five minutes. Okay, but then there's another time turner introduced later in the play, and that one. So it ends up there wasn't just one time turner still hanging around. There were two.
2: This is too much. (laughs) This is, this is, this is where it gets into fanfiction territory. Like, I, people might find that offensive. Yeah. Like you say, oh, it's fanfic. Or, or they might find the Twilight comparison, uh, offensive. I honestly don't think Twilight overused something as ridiculously as this. Yeah. It's just, you know, oh wait, there's this. Oh wait, there's this. It's like these cheap surprises, thrills, convenient, This is the opposite of a Harry Potter story to me. A Harry Potter story, think about book six and how well plotted each of the insights into Voldemort's past, his childhood, growing up are. How meticulously the story is laid out to the tragic moment where Dumbledore could not be saved but must be sacrificed in order to... Cause what happens next to come and Snape manages to survive only because of the unique sets of circumstances that were put upon him, you know, by the unbreakable vow at the beginning of the book and everything else that it has to do with. It's so brilliant. And this is just a constant series of no wait, but uh misdirection, but not even like the good kind of misdirection, but like just, it just seems like why should I care about any of these things that are happening. It's Harry's fourth year, which just, that's that alone just would have, shy wouldn't have been able to pay attention. I'm just like, what gobblet of Fire, what am I missing? Am I missing something? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's Cedric Diggory, like, that's weird. Because, again, he's the first victim, so it's like, leave that alone. His death clearly meant all it was ever going to mean in that book and the book's following.
1: Are are you saying, though, that you're almost looking for the points where you can go back to Goblet of Fire and put your finger on a page or... In a chapter and say, Oh, okay, I can see now where they would have come back or, or how they could have potentially altered. It's that, see, for me, when you do these time turning type of sequences, and I'm sure it was extremely difficult to have to write it in Prisoner of Azkaban, you have to leave the door open for the actual time turning event. And the problem with this is it's not independent of the series because you've included the series, right? You didn't progress it forward. You've made the series specifically year four, such an integral part of this play. And yet you can't go back to the text of Goblet of Fire and comb through it and say, okay, this is the moment when Albus came back or this is how Scorpius altered this plot point. I can see how this would have taken place. You, you know, it's you, you can't you can't visualize it within the context of the normal series. Yet that's what I think it sounds like this play is asking you to do.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I I just question why year four is the backdrop. Who you know in be, the writing could, process?
0: Be, who who? Well, yeah. like I said, um, there he. he albus needs to be motivated to do something and for whatever reason they decided that i was going to be bringing cedric back to life But something else that also motivates him is this line about being a spare uh in goblet of fire he's described as the spare cedric Mm -hmm. and albus Albus. feels like the spare
2: yeah there i can see that let's talk about that oh yeah go on micah
0: uh, I was just gonna say, there's a there's a touching scene at the end when Albus comes face to face with Cedric that um, Albus tells Cedric how much his parents love him, which I thought was really sweet because that was that was something that Amos wanted.
2: He wanted to tell his son. It's kind of an odd thing to say to a guy who's about to die. <laughs> like it makes perfect sense, but then it's like yet. Cedric's like he doesn't know he's gonna die, but it's like, uh, how's he gonna take that? Um, he knows you're, though. You're, you're, go, okay going back to uh just what you said a second ago about albus severus feeling like a spare and not feeling like i guess it's from like the plot preview that we got like can't is under his father's shadow right i think it's a pretty far stretch to be say you're under your father's shadow which we can all understand uh and then saying you know flat out that harry and albus detest each other which i think is what the play Basically, I mean, you know, isn't there a line at some point early on where Harry tells his like, Albus says, I wish I wasn't your son. And Harry says something like, some days I wish you weren't either. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that happens. They have a a very, very...
2: uh, This strained relationship feels completely... Uh, retconned, to be perfectly honest, because the scene in the epilogue, in Deathly Hallows epilogue, is quite touching, where he says, hey, don't worry, son, if you're in Slytherin. Like, this, this whole notion that these two characters wouldn't get along, uh, you know, as father and son. Sure, they're father and son, they have, they're allowed to have some conflict. But like, to this degree, where Harry is just sucking so hard as a dad that he cannot reach his son at all on any level. But that level. happens when you grow up. I mean, I, I, I when
0: yeah, uh, okay. I think you can hit some stressful moments with your parents. I know I have a long time ago. I get maybe even around Harry or Albus, Albus's age. Um. So if, I, bu- I, bu- I bought, I yeah. bought that. I bought all okay. of that. So here here's a post. Yeah, but on, you didn't um, go
1: and get a time turner and try and alter the uh, future. <laughs> well
2: kids yeah. do well, okay, the so
0: darnest he, things,
2: don't they? I, I think I think people have such uh ideas that have been provoked by the announcement of this play. Uh they have such ideas that have sort of come to the surface of what kind of parent they think Harry's going to be. I'm sad to say that I, I think they probably won't see I mean, I'm sure Harry does some real hardcore parenting in the, in this, but it's both, mostly just to, like preserve the timeline, stop his scar from hurting, and save his son's life. I get it. But like for me, I think people have so many different ideas of, of of Harry, and I think we like to aggrandize our hero that he would, you know, have a fighting shot. There's a post on Tumblr I read, uh, and this is from one of the tumbles, but it's it's a quote. It says or it's a summary. Harry says he sometimes wishes Albus wasn't his son. The response to just that snippet is, "You mean to tell me the boy who lived under the stairs and was abused his whole life would even think to say something like that to his son?" Get this crap the fuck out of my face! <laughs> uh, you understand, like from and out of context, it just seems like the craziest thing you'd ever read.
0: It does, and I guess that's one issue with these major spoilers. I think, I think, I think people are still going to have these uh, big negative reactions, but I think reading all this stuff in the context of a Tumblr user and whatnot, I think uh, you get a Bit of a different impression, you know what you were just reading there. For example, it was pretty well, harsh. So,
2: someone, someone did the, that. Was harsh. Uh, I regret actually dropping the f bomb. Actually, no, not um, that, but, not that part. Just in general. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, here somebody did the math on the whole Bellatrix pregnancy thing. Uh, and this is a reply. I can't effing believe Voldemort canonically nutted in someone. This SHIT <laughs> is wow. wild. Hang on. This SHIT is wild. And this, this is the part where they did the math. Imagine being Harry in fifth year and getting a vision from Voldemort's <laughs> perspective of, of, of doing someone. Yeah. And because that's actually essentially, I think that makes sense because if Bellatrix were able to, were to give birth, And still be in the final battle in any, you know, good shape and stuff. And the kids off with Rodolphus Lestrange or whatever. Fine. But you would, it would be that year when Harry's inadvertently seeing into Voldemort's mind, which is year five. That's the year for it. That's the year they had to have done it. At least he has a body. But again, what
1: give any more information in, in terms of her
0: background? Nope. Nope. Mike, I know you were desperate to know when they had sex, but we do not know. <laughs> yes, that's. Uh, I've lost sleep over it, not just because yeah, I'm. Jet-lagged. I can imagine. Well, one I just of the think things it's a, it's- that oh, wait, I thought
1: was um, interesting about the story, at least in part two, is was Snape.